0: Welcome to Riverbend Church's podcast, and thanks for listening. Riverbend is a church in Hernando, Mississippi that is focused on our calling to restore the community around us. For more information, visit rbhernando.church. We hope you enjoy the message. A little less than a year ago, Nathan and I found ourselves looking across Lamar Valley in Yellowstone. And uh, it was one afternoon, we were there, there was a number of other people there, probably a group of about 10 or 15 by the time that we showed up to this spot, and and we were looking across the valley at two black dots, that's all we could tell. I mean, they looked like gnats across the valley, but those two black dots were two grizzly bears. And those two grizzly bears were finding supper in the, uh, in the valley of a dead elk. And they were moving the body of this elk from one part of the valley to another part of the valley. And all we could tell at the moment was two black dots. Then we ran back to the car and we got some binoculars. And those two black dots became like the size of Abraham Lincoln's head on the penny. We could tell a little bit more about them. As we looked intently at them, as we were observing them, and then finally, somebody came with a spotting scope. And those two little black dots that became recognizable as two bears looking through binoculars... Looking through that spotting scope, we were able to see them move. They became bigger. They became more distinct. We were able to watch them take steps, take bites, have their supper from a safe distance. You're like, Brian, that's an interesting way to open a sermon. Well, this morning, I want us to uh, look at some observations out of God's Word. Some observations found in Acts chapter 7. And these observations, if you and I were to just read this passage, they may be like black dots in our lives. If we were to take just a few moments with these observations, there's three observations that I want us to look at today. But if we were to take just a moment at these observations, it might be like those binoculars that Nathan and Aaron, forgot about you, you were there, weren't you? He was there. And myself and others saw as we looked through the binoculars, or as if we take just a few more moments, and I hope to do that today, we'll look at this passage through a spotting scope to see these observations of Jesus. If you have a copy of God's Word, turn to Acts chapter 7. I'm going to start reading for us in verse 51, and I will read through the end of the chapter in verse 60. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, the verses will be on the screen, I believe, behind me, and you can follow along as I read. It's going to start out pretty pretty stark. Okay, We'll get there. But here's what Stephen, a disciple a follower of Jesus is preaching to a group of religious Jews, religious leaders. We're coming in at the tail end of his sermon. He states this in verse 51, You stiff-necked people, you uncircumcised of the heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets, which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Now when they heard these things, when they heard verses 51 through 53... They were enraged. They ground their teeth at him. But he, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God, Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they were, and as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, re- receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. Heavenly Father, this morning in these moments, would you allow us, would you allow us to see Jesus? Would you allow us to see these three observations? These three observations that point out the importance of your Son. The importance of you, Jesus. As we spend these moments together, may you be honored by what your Word says this morning. And God, would You speak to the hearts of every man and every woman, every child in this room and draw us, every single one of us, draw us closer to You because we see a clearer picture of who You are. I ask this in Your Son's name. Amen. I want to direct your attention to an episode in the life of a man today. This man is Stephen, and I told you that we are breaking into the last portion of his sermon before they stone him. I believe the verses are... Still on the screen, but if you were to go back to Acts chapter 6 and you were to look in verse number 5 of Acts chapter 6, it states this, I'm going to pick up in verse 4, but we, those are the disciples, the apostles now, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, that they chose Stephen a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Procurus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenius, Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. Then down in verse number 15 of the same chapter states this, about Stephen and gazing at him. These are his accusers. These are the Jewish leaders that he's about to just preach to out of chapter 7. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council, they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. And then in chapter 7, verse 1 through verse 60 is Stephen's sermon. Before we get to the observations, this is the longest sermon outside of the Sermon on the Mount in the New Testament. It's the longest recorded sermon. And and some have stated, why in the world is this man's sermon recorded this way? And I believe it's because of the last couple of verses of chapter 7 and the first verse of chapter 8. It's about this man by the name of Saul. Saul was there. And not too much further down the road, Saul is going to be saved. And once he is saved, he's not going to go by the name of Saul any longer. He's going to go by the name of Paul. But he is there and he is an eyewitness of this stoning, this murder. And he records it for Luke so that Luke would know exactly what goes on. And that's why we have chapter 7 in its length of 60 verses. Three observations this morning. The first observation is this. The mention of his name changes everything. The mention of the name Jesus, even a description of his name, changes the whole situation around your life, my life, Changes the whole situation that Stephen founds himself in in chapter seven of Acts. Because for fifty verses, fifty verses, for the most of the sermon, he is just standing there and they, in their minds, in their, in their own mental capacity, as they hear what is going on, everything is okay. He speaks of Abraham. He speaks of Jacob. He speaks of Moses. He speaks of David. He speaks of Solomon. He speaks of those that have gone before them, and they are okay. But when he mentions there in verse number 51 down through verse number 54 those words and ends those with an emphatic The righteous one in verse 52, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. It changed everything. Have you ever just said one word and the whole conversation changed? Everything was fine until you said that one word. Husbands, maybe it wasn't the one word that you said, but maybe it was the way that you said it. Guilty? One word. One name changed the whole situation. And that name still changes the situations today. That name still changes life today. It is the name... Jesus. Why is that the case? If you were to flip back two chapters, maybe three chapters in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 4, verse 11 and 12, Peter and John are arrested. Peter and John are before a number of this same group that Stephen is. And here's how they respond about this name. This Jesus... Verse 11 states, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, by by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name, no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. you ever had a hard time in a conversation speaking of the name of Jesus? You talked about baseball and it was fine. You talked about the job and it was fine. You talked about family and it was fine. But as soon as you tried to turn the conversation spiritually, as soon as you tried to speak about Jesus, couldn't go any further. It it was like a roadblock. It was an obstacle. Why? Because there's a spiritual battle that is going on even now. And that spiritual battle is taking place and there are enemy troops and there are troops on the side of our Father who are at battle. And this name has power. Paul wrote it this way to the folks in Philippi, Philippians chapter 2. He said, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, this name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth. And under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. One of the podcasts that I listen to is um, I listen to it pretty much every day. Um, is Al Mohler's The Briefing, and Al Mohler is the president of Southern Seminary. And every morning he has a podcast about 20 to 30 minutes long. And in this past week, as I was studying for this and knowing that this was going to be the sermon this morning, he he brought up a an article from the Washington Post about one of the um, people who are running for president, put their name in the hat, so to speak, for president of in 2020, for the election in 2020. And uh, the article was written about Pete Buttigieg. And something happened to him about 10, maybe 14 days ago. He went down to Georgia and went to Sunday school. And it wasn't just any Sunday school class that he went into. It was the Sunday school class led by a former president, by President Jimmy Carter. And... The journalist at the Washington Post was in an outrage. You go read the article that she wrote there last Monday. And she was in an outrage because he was championing the name of Christ. He says, I have these values. These are core values. And I don't know where you stand politically. I don't stand with him. I don't stand with him in some of the views that he has. I don't stand with him in the lifestyle that he has chosen. But he has stood and said, hey, I am standing on these values. And this journalist wrote a scathing article, scathing article, of why do you have to bring up that name? Why can't you just have those morals and not bring up the name? Why do you have to call yourself a Christian? And speak of that name. It's because that name has power. That name divides. That name divides. It divides nations. It divides families. It divides individuals. That name is that power. And when he speaks, when Stephen speaks that name, if you see this in this observation, when he speaks that name, the name of the righteous one, he he doesn't even say the name. He just defines him. He just describes one of his characteristics, one of his attributes. And when he does that, they start gnashing their teeth at him. When he does that, they turn, the situation turns, and they start escorting him out of the temple. They start escorting him out of the city. They start escorting him to a place where they can stone him. Stephen knew Jesus. He witnesses what a difference one name can bring, even a description of that name. Today you have to come to terms with that name. Every single one of us have to come to terms with that name. Do you believe Him? Do you believe Jesus? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. He says He is the Savior. He says He's the Messiah, the sent and anointed one, the Christ. Students, you must come to terms with that name. Adults, you and I must come to terms with that name. If you don't believe Him, if you don't believe Him, you will face eternity. You will face forever. In torment, you will face forever away from Him. Not only observing that his name changes the situation, look at a second observation in this passage. A second observation is this, that the position described, the position described of Jesus demands your reflection, demands our reflection. You're like, what are you talking about? Well, look there in verse number 55. Acts 7.55 says this, But he, full of the Holy Spirit, that's Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. His position, Jesus' position, is spoken of two different ways in that Verse. Let me read the verse for us again. Think about how this position, how Jesus' position is described. And let's reflect on it. But he, full of the Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. First description. Jesus is in the throne room of heaven. There's a throne room, and he is there, God is there, and he is at the right hand of God. Okay? It's not in American culture. It's not in the Western culture that this happens. We we don't, we have separated the powers, so to speak. We don't even have a throne room in America. We don't. But in those days, in those cultures, and even in cultures today, the throne room was also the court room. The throne room where the king sat was also the deciding room where life was decided. It was in those sittings, settings where the person who was on the throne made decisions. And what's happening here? There's a throne room, but there's also some decisions that are being made. And those decisions are happening, and Jesus is standing at the right hand of the Father. Last week, we saw in 1 John chapter 2 that he was our advocate. He was standing in our place before the Father. When we were being accused, he was taking those accusations. Yep, Brian did that. Yep, Brian lied. Yep, Brian did that. Yep, Brian thought that. Yes, all of you did that, thought that, said that. Yes. But Father, He's mine. Father, she's mine. Father, I paid for her sin. I paid for that sin for Him. I paid for those sins. So don't blame them. Look at it on me. And so there is that description that is happening right now. But also at that same time, this throne room and this courtroom setting is going out Numerous other places, we see Jesus sitting at the right hand. Now we see Him standing. He is standing up. Jesus in the throne room of heaven, the scene of Stephen's murder unfolds. It has been argued by multiple people that the reason that Jesus is standing up is because He is looking intently at Stephen. It has also been argued through numerous commentaries that Jesus is standing up because He is Being our advocate. You might say, Brian, which one is it? Yes. Exactly. I believe it's both. He is looking intently at what is going on in the life of one of his kids. And every time you go through suffering, he is looking intently at you as well. And some of that suffering that you and I go through, it is self-inflicted. He still is looking intently at His children. And some of that suffering that you and I go through, we couldn't stop it if we wanted to. And He is just saying, you know what, I, I've suffered like that before. I need you to understand that I've suffered like that. Just like you have. You didn't do anything. It wasn't your fault. Yet you are suffering. I, I suffered like that. And I know what you're going through. And know this, that you're not going through this alone. Ma'am, you are not going through the suffering that is coming at you 95 miles an hour alone. Sir, you're not going through the suffering that is coming at you alone. He is right there with you. The position described demands your reflection, your reflection of who He is, my reflection of who He is. I love what F.F. Bruce states in his commentary on this passage. He says this, While Stephen was confessing Christ before men, he sees Christ confessing himself. He sees Christ confessing Stephen before God. And When you and I confess Jesus before men, Jesus is doing the same for us before the father he is concerned and attentive to what is happening in the life of his kids he hasn't just left you here he desires for you to understand that he is close observe his position reflect on it And as you reflect on it, it might be a reflection and an observation that takes you longer than the moments that we have in this building today. But know that He is standing at the right hand of the Father right now. Desires for you and for me to understand that He's standing there for us. The moments that we have left, I want to kind of camp out In this last observation, the plea of a dying man points to a capable Savior. Stephen is literally dying as verse 59 and 60 take place. He is literally dying. And as he is dying, he says this, As they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord, Jesus, receive my spirit. Falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. When he had said this, he died. The plea of a dying man points to, shows a capable Savior. Every single person in this room needs a Savior. There are two components that would make any Savior a good Savior. Component number one, the Savior must be willing to save. And second, the Savior must be capable of saving. There have been scores of saviors, quote, unquote, who have been willing to save, but there has only been one who has been willing and capable. He was willing because he left heaven to live a perfect life, to die a death deserved by you and me for us, rose from the grave and lives even now at the Father's right hand. So He's willing, but He's also capable because of all those things that I just stated. Jesus is standing at the right hand of God. Lord, receive My Spirit. Last words. Lord, don't hold this sin against Him. Let's bring it home. Make everybody upset with me before we close out. That's my job. No, it's not. Last week, you were driving on Interstate 55. Last week, you were driving on Commerce Street. Last week, you were driving on Goodman Road. Last week, you were driving. You picked the road. Doesn't matter. Same thing happened to you, happened to me, happened to everybody else. Somebody pulled out in front of you. They didn't hit you. You weren't in a wreck. But they pulled out in front of you. How did you respond? I mean, they didn't have a stone over their head about to hurl it at you and hit you. How did you respond, sir, ma'am? When somebody just, you had to hit the brakes. You just had to tap them. Just, Just tap. How did you respond? I go back to a previous point in the service. Men who are married in the room, you had a discussion with your wife this past week, possibly this morning. She said something in a way that you did not like. How did you respond? Ladies, your husband responded in the wrong way. How did you respond? Brian, this is, this is trivial. Yes and no. It is compared to what happened to Stephen. You see the magnitude of difference. But I will argue this morning that how you respond in those moments will show how you respond in those huge moments. And the reason that Stephen could respond the way that he did, Lord, receive my spirit. Lord, don't hold this sin against them. is. In that magnitude of the moment is because he responded correctly every single time that there was a minute disagreement that somebody pulled out in front of him, that a coworker took the, the recognition instead of it going to you that your sibling said this and you didn't bite back at him. Lord, do not hold this sin. Against him, Stephen responded correctly in the magnitude of the moment. And Stephen also responded in those minute moments. Where do you get that? Go back to two verses. Chapter 6, verse 5. The reason that he was picked to be one of the first deacons and he is described this way. Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Chapter 7. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit. It's how he lived his life. And how you and I can respond as we see this plea pointing towards this capable Savior question for us is this. How will you respond this week? How will you respond now that you have seen these observations of who Jesus is? Alive. Standing at the right hand of the Father. An advocate. Looking intently at your life and my life. I love the song that we sang just a moment ago when, with the words that said He has broken every chain. Every chain. Chain, not, not just some of the chains that hold you back. He has broken every chain. So the way that you are living today, you don't have to still be in that jail cell called sin. No, you can respond to Him today. You can come to Him and you can bow the knee just as we read in Philippians chapter 2 that every knee will bow those in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. For everybody in this room, I don't know where you are spiritually. Where you are on that spiritual journey, I don't know where that is. But I do know this. There is a willing Savior who is there to save you. And there is a capable Savior who is there to save you. And you and I must reflect on those aspects of His life. We must see those observations. And maybe it's not today. But maybe it is today. That He is saying to you, hey, Sir, hey, ma'am, I died for you. I desire for you to live this way and you follow His voice. Maybe it's not today. Maybe it's something that you need to chew on. Chew on it. Because it is the most important aspect of all of life. Heavenly Father, the account of Stephen. Father, it is hard. It's hard to see one of your faithful followers put in that situation. But, Father, it changed the world. That That episode, that account, that moment changed the world. God, thank you for it. Thank you that a man, a young man by the name of Saul, saw that and you were continuing to work in his heart and in his life. That not too much further down the road, Father, he came to know you and he saw you. God, that changed. The world. You change the world. And Father, I know that, that we go to a job site on Monday and we just think it's Monday at 10:07. And seven days from then we're gonna have another Monday, 10.07. But Father, you have us there at that moment for a reason. May we live that out whether it's in a classroom this week, whether it's at the house with with just our kids around us, whether it's at a job site or in an office. Father, if I would just live that out in the line at Kroger. God, thank You for working in us. Jesus, thank You for taking our place and dying for us. May we see You more clearly. Father, may we live our lives for You. Our Lord, our God, our King, our Master. I ask it in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to stand and we're going to have a time of response. The altar is open. I would love to pray with you. There's something that you want me to pray with you about. But more than anything, more than those things, I want you to spend some time just reflecting on him. You've seen the observations, just reflect as we sing. You have been listening to the latest message from Riverbend Church. We hope you enjoyed it. Live sin.